Hello friends, welcome to the Endwick podcast today. I have a word from the Lord to share with you. I pray that it will be a blessing to you. We're going to share from Matthew chapter 5 on the beatitudes of Jesus, but extensively investigate the text that you are going to speak today. So I have a lot of grounds to cover. If you can be able to go to your podcast app and find a place where you can slow it down or rewind or repeat, please do so because I have a lot uh, to share with you today and I won't be uh, going over some areas twice or thrice. It will just be moving on ahead, moving ahead. Let's pray. Spirit of the living God, you who has been given to remind us of the things of Christ. Come today, remind us of the things of eternity and heaven. Remind us of the things that he has spoken before the foundations of the world and remind us of the things that he spoke right here on earth to establish us as the church, as his sons and his daughters. Bring us to fruition, Spirit of the living God, that we have been given the investments from heaven, the grace, the gifts, the powers and the abilities. Bring them to fruition in our lives, O God, that eternity may be evident in whatever we do and we say. To the praise and honor of your name we pray. Amen. We'll talk on the topic of a true blessed life. How does it look like? How does it entail? Our ideas of what a blessing is have been corrupted over time. The idea of a blessing has been reduced to material and physical miracles. But that is just a drop in an ocean. I'm afraid that your idea of what a blessing is may be fabricated by your own desires. The contention here arises from our relationship with God. To view ourselves correctly, we must first have the correct view of God. Often we use what we do, what we possess, and what we sacrifice in the kingdom to interpret who God is and what his will is when it comes to blessing us. But if that was so, wouldn't we have gone back to the law? That's why before the disciples could do anything for the kingdom of God, they were confronted with Christ with the question, Who do you say that I am? Peter, by the Holy Spirit, replied, You are the Christ, the Son of God. The revelation of God has to come from himself. Jesus told him, This was not revealed by flesh, and blood this was revealed by the holy spirit he gave you the right perspective of who god is and because the holy spirit has revealed to you who god is i will tell you who you are you are peter and on this rock i will build my church so it is only when we have the correct view of god that we can view ourselves correctly not that Up until this point when Jesus was confronting the disciples with this question, Jesus had never spoken about the term church. He had only talked about kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is like. 
his first message was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He wasn't saying repent because there's a church coming. Kingdom is like, the kingdom of heaven looks like, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Kingdom, kingdom, kingdom. Jesus talked more about kingdom living than the church. And this is because true church is an expression of people living authentic kingdom lives. Without an expression, there is no church. The idea of an institutionalized church is because it lacks a substance of a people living it. It is a people doing church and trying to play church, but few are being the church. And that's why kingdom life is emphasized. We need to be the church. And until we get to a point where we start to know God intimately, not just judging him through our experiences and our circumstances, but allowing the Holy Spirit to interpret God to us like Peter, he will reveal him through the word of God that we can have the right perspective of our experiences and our circumstances and what they teach us about God. We will not allow our experiences and our circumstances to teach us about God, but we will allow the Holy Spirit to help us to rightly interpret those experiences and circumstances to make us to know who God is and what he's doing. It is only then that we can view him correctly and view ourselves correctly. If not, if we just interpret, if we just allow circumstances and situations to be tutors of who God is in our lives, we will only view ourselves as servants and orphans. The Holy Spirit opens us to the reality of the fatherhood of God and our relationship is affirmed when we open our eyes to see what God is up to. Beloved, I pray that the eyes of your understanding may be opened. The Holy Spirit opens the inner eyes that we can see what God is doing behind the cutting. Regardless of how the season is looking like, he opens our eyes and we can be able to discern that this is what God is doing and therefore we can view him correctly. And by our vision being changed, then we can see ourselves correctly. So you may be having a terrible season, but God has packaged a blessing in that way. He packaged eternal life in a brutal criminal death on the cross. The blessing of blessings, eternal life, was packaged to look like a death, a death that is disgusting, a death that is out of rejection, a death that... Only those who have done the most heinous things go through. Many times in the New Testament, the tree was called cursed, the tree of the cross. But it was a blessing in disguise. So our theology on blessing fails us whenever the answer to our prayer doesn't look like it. James wrote this. You do not have because you do not ask. And when you ask, you don't receive it because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. That's James 4, 2 to 3. 
our frustration with God could be that his response doesn't match our desires and passions. He won't bless many of our prayers, but he will answer according to his eternal wisdom and purpose. So blessing has to do has more to do with our standing before God than the results of our prayers, giving or service. There's a level of blessing in those in those things in prayers in giving and in service there is a level of blessing that comes from that but we have to get to a place where we realize that we are blessed by God with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will from Ephesians chapter 1 3 to 5 so there's a reality of a blessing that existed way before the foundation of the earth and so regardless of what i see i won't judge that i'm cast but i can be confident of who i am as a son and as a daughter of god that god is doing what he's doing according to the purpose of his will in my life there are things he has predestined me for there are things that were set in course before i even came here and that because of that i will let him take the will however it looks like it is a blessing in disguise so brethren we can analyze the context of this scripture today matthew 5 that these are the beginnings of Jesus's ministry. Jesus's ministry is at its birth. And so he is establishing his church in the right view of who God is. That is his foundation for that church. And so in chapter 4 in the previous chapter we see him in the wilderness being tempted. by the holy spirit leading him there authentic ministry begins with wildernesses friends that place where it doesn't work where you're hidden no one knows you and that nothing seems to be going through that tough season where your theology is tested where the enemy attacks you on every side and that you have to cling on the word of god authentic ministry begins in dark places so jesus begins in wildernesses in the wilderness where he's tempted by the devil and he conquers him then he begins his ministry at uh, at capernaum with the message of repentance repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand that was his first message then he chooses his first disciples remember simon and then his brother peter and then uh, 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 simon i'm sorry simon peter and his brother andrew and then James and John the sons of Zebedee then he met with great crowds not that he meets great crowds only after choosing disciples accountability accountability in ministry so Jesus is laying a pattern for true church establishment therefore he stands in chapter 5 as an apostle and high priest in Hebrews we are told that he's the apostle and high priest of our calling so he intercedes in heaven for our sake but is one amongst us grounding his church in truth 
Matthew 5 1 says, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. So Jesus does this symbolically to signify that he is ministering from a place of rest. He is pointing that on one occasion later on, after conquering sin and death on the cross, he will be resurrected and sat on the right hand of the Father in his high priestly function. So Jesus here is in his high priestly function, cleansing his bride through a series of thought-provoking teachings that are mostly drawn, uh, that mostly draw inspiration from the Torah. So he challenges their interpretations of what the law means. Just in the same way that Moses went to the mountain to bring the law to the people, Christ speaks from the mountain to rightly put it to perspective. Nothing greater than hearing the author speak on his own writings. I'm the one who wrote it. Therefore, I'm the one who can rightly interpret it. That is authority. So the Beatitudes, what the, what the word means, Beatitude, is blessed, year or, blessed is or blessed are. As, as the words are repeated in all the Beatitudes, blessed is, blessed is, blessed are. So according to Jesus in our main text, he outlines a lifestyle that means a combination of values and character of a citizen of the kingdom as the way to a true blessed life. In fact, there is nothing in his definition of a blessed person that suits our modern materialistic bias. It is an organic life that holds keys to kingdom doors and rewards. And money, money and wealth are just a part of them. They are not everything in those blessings. They are just but a part of them. So these statements are descriptive in nature. They tell us that this is how a citizen of heaven naturally or organically lives their lives. This is their organic lifestyle. There is a present tense and a future tense in the Beatitudes that on one hand, we are told happy are those who are doing this thing. So depending on their situation or their mindset or their values, it is in the present tense. And then on the other hand, we have the future tense, basically saying that they will receive that. That means the outcomes, the results of what was activated by their lifestyle. So this is the general pattern in the Beatitudes with some little tweaks here and there, but that is the general pattern. So the first and the eighth Beatitudes have the phrase, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This means that they are laying a blueprint for those other Beatitudes in between. The Beatitudes echo Old Testament themes and passages that we know. This was Jesus oozing out of his inward anointing and calling as a high priest, oozing out the substance of scripture from the Old Testament and giving it to his bride, purifying them and their hearts. Examples of 
texts that are familiar to the passages is Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach the good news to the poor. That's Isaiah 61 verse 1 to 2. A chapter earlier, that is in chapter 4, it says that Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. So, this is in the context of Jesus fulfilling a prophecy, but again drawing inspiration from such to preach. Isaiah 61 also talks about to comfort uh, to comfort all those who mourn that Isaiah 61 verse 2 and this already looks like verse 3 and verse 4 of our main text comforting those who mourn and also preaching good news to the poor so verse 3 and verse 4 uh, seem to be inspired from Isaiah 61 Another similar passage is Psalms 37 verse 11 but the meek shall inherit the earth and delight themselves in abundant peace this resembles verse 5 of our text it's more of a greek version of the old testament text in the book of psalms psalms 24 verse 3 to 6 who shall ascend the holy hill of the lord and who shall stand in his holy place he who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully he will receive blessing from the lord and righteousness from the lord god of his salvation such is the generation of those who seek him who seek the face of the god of jacob so this seems to be similar to verse 8 of our main text that the pure at heart are the ones who seek God and receive a blessing because of their seeking the beatitudes in general seem to draw some themes from the book of psalms in general so thematically the beatitudes have the same major characters described as righteous or meek or poor and these are found in the book of psalms these are god's people who even though the wicked look like they are living large despite persecuting using and abusing them god wages war on the wicked and they get their true reward on the day of the lord so god vindicates his righteous people while the fate of the wicked is determined in sure death and destruction despite their temporary gratification of sin and power on the earth that is the culmination of the psalms it's not that if you are poor you will go to heaven that's not the theology of the psalms but that the psalmist puts it that people who have been wronged people who have been oppressed people who have experienced injustice by the shepherds of israel by the governments and the people in authority and by the gods of the nations are the subject of the discussion by the gods of the nations i mean demonic powers and principalities that are behind governments so god's righteousness makes him to be against wicked people psalm 69 verse 9 says for the zeal of for the zeal for your house has consumed me and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me 
this was fulfilled by Jesus in John chapter 2, 13 to 17, where Jesus drove off traders from the temple in Jerusalem during Passover who were taking advantage of people, taking advantage of worshippers by selling at the temple. So there is a place in the righteousness of God that does not allow him to sit and watch wickedness. Go on. Poverty does not mean salvation, but if you have been oppressed, you can believe that God is on your side. If you are a believer and have been oppressed, be sure that God is on your side. There is a vengeance of the Lord. Leave it to him. You don't have to pursue. You don't have to waste so much resources trying to put vengeance on some people or making them to learn a lesson but that eventually leave it to the Lord. There is a sure day for vindication. There are other inspirations from the Beatitudes. The other Beatitudes, um, they they don't directly mention Old Testament texts. Uh, They're not so similar like the ones that we have seen. Uh, They don't carry a direct references uh, reference, but they have similar patterns and themes to all to the Old Testament, especially the Psalms. Jesus is truly the son of uh, the, the the seed, uh, the branch from the root of Jesse. Verse six of our main text talks about hungering and thirsting after righteousness, that resembles Psalms forty-two one to two. As the deer pants for water, so my soul longs after thee as the deer panteth for the waters so my soul longeth after thee you alone are my heart's desire and I long to worship you. The inspiration of verse 6. People who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Also Isaiah 55 verse 1 to 2. Come everyone who thirsts. Buy wine and milk without money. Listen diligently to me. Incline your ear that your soul may live. So it's a call. The prophet is speaking just like God. The prophet is so one with God that you cannot tell where the prophet ends and God begins. But it's a prophet calling the people of Israel and yet it is God speaking through the prophet that they should come. They should not waste their money on earthly investments. But they should come and, 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 and invest in listening and inclining their ear to the Lord that their souls may live. Verse 7 of our main text talks about mercy being reciprocated. That sounds similar to Psalms 18 verse 25 to 26. Verse 9 of our main text also talks about the blessing of the peacemakers and it's similar to Psalms 34 verse 14. So in summary, the fact that these qualities look controversial and paradoxical to their rewards means that they have been given from 
a divine perspective. It tells us that the victim mentality we have doesn't hold because there are things being prepared for us when we endure for the sake of the kingdom lifestyle that we live. Don't have to be sorry for yourself. Don't ask to don't have to ask why me all the time. Don't have to be gloomy all the time. Pour it unto the Lord and come to a place where you know for sure that there are things that God has prepared for me for enduring what I'm enduring. There are rewards. There are sure rewards in my life for what I'm going through in the kingdom. There is. Paul always talked about it. He's looking forward to that reward. That doing good, don't be tired of it because there is a reward that is coming. It is a sure reward. It is a sure as day here on earth and even in heaven. Let's talk about the reality of already but not yet. It is it is the conflict of looking into the message of the kingdom that the future rewards are both here and in heaven examples of already but not yet is john chapter 4 he tells jesus tells this, the samaritan woman the hour is coming but now is here when the true worshipers will worship in spirit and truth so the hour is coming in the future but it has already come Hebrews 2 verse 8 to 9, At the present we do not see everything in subjection to him, that means not yet, but we see him for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death that is the already done. So we have seen him, but we have not seen everything yet coming under his subjection. First John chapter 3 to 2, Dear friends, now we are children of God, that's the already, and what will be has not yet been made known. There is a not yet. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. So that's, that's a reality. It's a present reality in the kingdom. Already but not yet. And that faith is the gap between the two bridges. Faith is the evidence of things that are hoped for the evidence of what is not seen. It is the evidence of the not yet. It is the already of the not yet faith. So Jesus was preaching of the kingdom of heaven that is at hand, but yet will come in its fullness at the end times. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So when the Beatitudes speak of those who inherit the earth, let us not puff our heads too much because many a times when I've seen this preached in charismatic circles, it means those who shall have cars and mansions and skyscrapers. Uh, this is a reward that seems more than just earthly rewards. It's speaking of both the new Eden at the end of the age and the present reality of bringing salvation to nations. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage at the end, and the ends of the earth as your possession. I have set my king on Zion and therefore he has said to me, you're my son today, I've begotten, of, I've begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage. So these are dual realities of kingdom rewards. 
Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. So there's a reward both here and in eternity. Those who have given up mothers, fathers, houses, they shall receive houses and lands and brothers and sisters and mothers and children in this age and in the age to come. This dichotomy is avoided in the same story of the rich young ruler in Matthew. So this was Mark's account. The previous verse we have read was Mark's account of the story of the rich young ruler. In the book of Matthew, in the same account, Matthew avoids uh, that part and only focuses on the heavenly reward. Matthew puts it like this. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you in the, in the world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my namesake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. So he's talking about the conquest and ruling together with Christ for those who have submitted to God here on the earth. So even so, the parameters of our text warn us uh, of a purely heavenly reward, but there's also an earthly one. We remember our param- the parameters of our text were there is the kingdom of heaven, both in the first beatitude and the last one, in the first and the eighth, the present tense. So meaning that Matthew still had a comprehension of the dichotomy between earthly and heavenly rewards because our beatitudes were written uh, are coming from the book of Matthew. So according to him, the kingdom has already arrived. In fact, that is what he says was Jesus' first message. From that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's Matthew 4 verse 17. So we can conclude that the audience of the Beatitudes are people who are already under God's kingdom rule on earth. Citizens of heaven, but are yet to fully encounter the full spectrum of that kingdom but they are ever growing in glory towards it. Therefore, the blessing will be experienced in this life as a kingdom privilege of of being a bona fide son and daughter of God, even as the main reward remains in the future. That's the tension of living on earth, but being not of the earth. And so, brethren, I've labored with the text so that I can bring you to this point. That when we are reading the Beatitudes, you shouldn't just read it sacrilegiously, but let us come to it with knowledge. I'm going to pray regarding the Beatitudes, but I'm going to go through them now with the knowledge that we have come throughout this journey with, with all that knowledge. I'm going to put it to interpretation and then i'm going to pray that you experience a true blessed life the misunderstandings of what a blessing is have made the modern church to take celebrities and secular people as examples 
because blessing has been reduced to something materialistic. So no wonder we take them as role models and we put them in sermons as if they have achieved great things, but they have sold their soul. Why does it benefit a man to sell their soul and gain the riches of the world? Why does it benefit you to throw away your dignity and your morality so that you can make it in life? So you have lost yourself. You don't even know who you have become. Even with the the limousines and with the flashy life and with the choppers and everything. But that you know there's a part of yourself that has gone. You have become a monster. You just do about anything for money. What does it benefit you then? Can we call that a blessed life? Then no. There needs to come an understanding in us. That when we admire them, we are admiring a life that is cast and yet we don't know it. So Jesus is telling us the the true blessed life of a son and a daughter of God. Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So every time we mention blessed is, know that he's talking about the true happiness. Happy is. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This means that the people of the king, the king's people who are desperate for God, will be rewarded with the kingdom of heaven. They have acknowledged that they are deprived and there's nothing in and out of them that can earn God's attention or qualify as a replica of God's presence. They just want God's presence in their lives and they truly trust in him. The kingdom is there both now and forever. And because they have trusted in me alone, they shall have King Jesus rule their lives because of their surrender. Matthew 5, 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This means that the king's people who experience sorrow and remorse over their sins and they repent for their sinful nature shall find comfort in God's grace and forgiveness. Heaven's citizens who feel the pinch of sin and death, including the physical death of their loved ones, but have placed their hope in Jesus, will be comforted by the spirit of comfort who is the Holy Spirit, even as they will find the greater reality of comfort in heaven where they shall weep no more and where their sins shall be no more. Matthew 5 verse 5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The king's people are fully yielded and submitted to Jesus. We remember when we were reading about the meekness in Psalms chapter 2. I have set my king on Zion. Because of that, the king replies, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Therefore, ask of me of the nations, and I will give you the ends of the earth as an inheritance. So these are the people that have surrendered their lives, their families, their careers, their finances, their dreams and ambitions to the cause or the purpose of the kingdom of God. They are not entitled to any of them, even though they might possess them, because they believe that God gave it to them in the first place. They will find inheritance in nations by reaping a harvest of souls and will rule together with Jesus in the new Eden. Their inheritance in the nations by reaping souls 
we'll also include material needs that are met and um, that are met and resources that are multiplied so they are being groomed to reign those who are humble are being groomed to reign with Christ they are great in the kingdom matthew 5:6 blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied the king's people are those who have stayed in the transformative in the transformative presence of god until it has changed them due to the change within they will not give god peace until they see righteous righteousness established in the earth as they are oppressed and see the wicked thrive through evil they pray come lord jesus for no political answer will ever be enough to them until king jesus reigns on the earth they are homesick and crave my rule and power over the nations as they have known me from the secret place where i commune with them and change them they were hungry for me i fed them and answered their prayers to change their nations and cities for god even as they shall find a greater joy in joining the one who they were living for here on earth and in heaven when he will rule with righteousness over all kingdoms and nations and make everything new matthew 5:7 blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy the king's people do random acts of kindness without any strings attached they are willing to love others whether you agree or disagree with them whether you are friends or strangers to them and without need of any credit it's a natural reflex even when it's not convenient or whether that person has hurt them before or is an enemy they show mercy hospitality and forgiveness easily by the way the word mercy here is the root word for womb means that it's coming from within it's a natural reflex they cannot help it so they are doing these things because they have a present reality of the mercy of god that saved them from their sins therefore they shall also have god's mercy in the final judgment matthew 5:8 Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Who is it that has a pure heart? Uh, uh who is it that ascends the 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 mount of the Lord? He was a pure heart, pure heart and clean hands, you remember. So the king's people are those who make his presence a priority. They have toiled in moments of prayer and seeking the face of God and doing life with others that they are authentic as it gets. They have mingled with the spirit of truth that his it has rubbed on them. They don't have any guile or selfish motives. They have crucified those. They are shame on Sunday as they are on Monday. They are authentic and wear their hearts on their sleeve. This is because they have unloaded every burden of self, of ego, of pride and idols. They have nothing else to lose. they have nothing to lose and staying in the secret place the purity of their hearts helps them to encounter god more easily and see what he is about 
in every season. Their inner eyes are open to comprehend what God is doing in their life's circumstances. They have come to Mount Zion and they see God more clearly than Moses did at Mount Sinai. And without a veil on their faces as Moses wore after seeing God, the vision, their vision of the king will increasingly grow brighter unto that day of the Lord where they shall see him face to face. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Matthew 5, 9. This means the king's people are peace carriers. Wherever they go and whatever situation comes, they carry the manifest presence of God and speak the peace that comes storms. Jesus is the prince of peace and they carry him inside them. They are so one with him that whoever they meet and wherever they go, Troubled hearts rest, inward questions are answered, conflicts cease, church community thrives, and the demonic bows at their feet. The God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. This was Paul telling the Roman church. Therefore, the peacemakers, the sons of God, they affirm their sonship by leaving peace everywhere they go. So shall it be that they shall be identified as sons of God here on earth and it will be their identity in heaven. Lastly, Matthew 5.10 Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The king's people have totally surrendered their lives to Jesus even to the point of death. They will not conform to society nor bow to culture and be relevant. This attitude is the beginning of a true revival. They are given to the cause of righteousness to see souls united with their Lord Jesus. This reckless abandonment and royal loyalty makes them come under the rule of Jesus for eternity to come. Dear God, ingrain in us an understanding of true blessedness. Save us from the shallowness of thinking that the people of the world, the wicked and the way they prosper are blessed. Forgive us for coveting. Forgive us for measuring who you are according to our circumstances. Teach us, my God, to yield to your spirit that he may open our eyes to see just what you're about to do. That many a times you have wrapped gifts of promise and blessing in the wrapping of trials and tribulations and suffering. Open our eyes to see it. Make us to know that even as we organically live a kingdom lifestyle, we are in a place of accessing the riches and the rewards of the kingdom here on earth and even in the heaven, even in the heavens. Teach us humility. For it is the key to true kingdom greatness. Meekness, my God. Because you are weak, because you are meek and you are humble, you say that we should learn of you. And that because your meekness breaks the yokes, therefore our meekness and our humility on this life is the one that breaks yokes in other people's lives. Bring us to the true anointing. Set these ones apart, my God, 
Make them to know that they are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ in the heavenly places. And you are their high priest. And that today you have declared blessings, O oh God. As long as they live this kingdom lifestyle, as their high priest, you have declared a blessing on them. And as an apostle of their calling, you are establishing them and grounding them in the faith. Thank you, dear Lord. Praise your name. In Jesus' name.